either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Looks like mainly theater releases this week, but a couple of VODs to talk about as well. So let's dig in. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. We will start out with a group of rich 20-somethings planning a hurricane party at a remote family mansion. The party game turns deadly in a fresh and funny look at backstabbing fake friends and one party gone very, very wrong. This is Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. If you draw the piece of paper that has the X on it, you are the murderer. Let's go. Our friend is dead. Someone's doing this. They're trying to kill us off one by one. That would be so obvious if I were the killer. Taking off my clothes in the window for the neighbors. I'm staying safe. Really? Because it looks like you're grabbing a meat cleaver to go look for my boyfriend. You just watch your girl. You pushed her. Liar. You just want to be me. What is happening? That all you got, mama? Well, this is the latest from A24, and uh, we're always interested in A24. They've yep. got a great track record, I think, with us. I think with most people. Yeah. And this one maybe doesn't seem like an A24 movie, but we had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, we did. I mean, a lot of times, especially with their horror films, you think, quote, prestige horror. And I'm not sure that this fits that bill. Um, but it's it's very smart, and it, it's pretty funny. It is funny, and it's it's bloody. I don't think it leans too far in either direction, I think, for a horror comedy. It's bloody, but not too bloody. Yeah. It's funny, but it's not laugh-out-loud funny. But it is. It's, it's smart, and it's got a nice pace, and... And it it centers around these yeah these twenty somethings th- somethings that come together. They're all friends except for one because you've got uh, well one of the one of the stars here is Amanda Stenberg who was so good in The Hate You Give mm-hmm. and she's been in a bunch of things she has been and she's good and she's Sophie and she's one of the friends here but she brings her new girlfriend B played by Oscar nominee Maria Bakalova from Borat, Borat Two. So they show up. And that's how we, as an audience, come into the party. So, and we we right away identify with both of them, but mainly th- through B because she's an outsider, and so are we. And she's not filthy rich, right? So that's really the big thing. Is that the the other five? They've all you know clearly known each other for years. Probably went to elementary school and high school right. and college together, and they're all really, really wealthy. Except for now, we haven't mentioned the one non twenty something who's right. in the party. This guy named Greg, played by Lee Pace. He he's just been dating one of the girls, Alice, played by Rachel Sennett from um, Shiva Baby. Oh, so who's great. great, yeah. They're kind of got a thing going on, so he's 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 older. He's yeah. definitely in he's his like forty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's kind of an odd man out there, but he's at the party too. He's kind of dumb, but uh, but mainly you've got this group of lifelong friends, except for B. And so they're going to ride out the hurricane, but then when things get bumpy and the lights go out, they get no cell service, which is big, of course. Uh, but they try to pass the time by playing this game: bodies, bodies, bodies. Is that have you heard of that game? Is it real? You know what? I haven't, but you remember, it's very similar to the one that they were playing on Only Murders in the Building. Yeah. Where, yeah, there's a killer. And, yeah, you and basically randomly... Try to figure out who the killer is. Right. Someone in the house is chosen at random through drawing, like, straws, or you get an X on a card, and then so no one else in the group knows except for the killer. 
uh, and then they tap somebody and they're dead and the, the, the person that gets tapped has to fall down and be a body and everybody else has to figure out who the killer is. Yeah, they did something very similar on Only Murders in the Building. But anyway, of course, as you can guess, the fake bodies start turning into real dead bodies. And when that happens, then the accusations and the suspicions and the paranoia come out. And it, as we said in our written review, starts out with Agatha Christie and turns into Agatha Bitchy <laughs> really quickly with a side of douchebaggery because Pete Davidson yeah. kind of is having fun with his own image, sort of bad sure. boy image. Yeah. So when things just start breaking down, like you said, Lord of the Flies yeah. once the internet goes out. Yeah. And that's where the fun comes in. They're really, the uh, we should say the uh, the writer and director here, who we haven't even mentioned, and we should, the, the writer, the screenplay was by Sarah DeLop, um, if I pronounce that right, and the director is Helena Rain. And I don't think what they're saying about this generation is anything that's hasn't been said before. Um, it's more fun than it is profound, but it is wickedly fun in a lot of instances. It really is, and and it's and it's an interesting twist because the the as you said with the ten little Indians, the concept is pretty common mm-hmm. in horror. You know, uh, you know, you're you're secluded, you're in a darkened mansion, you're going to play a game, the game is going to go wrong. It's usually a Ouija board, but it doesn't matter. I right. mean, the idea is is similar to something that we've seen in a lot of films. But what makes this one so funny is it's like, you know, you pitch it and you go, yeah, so what happens when a bunch of Gen Z have to play a parlor game because they can't get online? <laughs> you know what I mean? They can't get on Tic Tac. Tic Tac. <laughs> they can't get on TikTok. They yeah. can't get online. And it's right. and it's a funny uh, way to poke at that culture, but yeah. it's not condescending. It's like... It's like from the inside out. Yeah, definitely from the inside out. And uh, it is smart in that way. And also, we haven't. Even, we should mention the, the way that the, the director, Helena Rain, really uses the confines of the mansion. You can't, it is a mansion, so you can't really say it's claustrophobic right. but yet because there's a lot of, lot of space in this thing. But she uses it very effectively through dark corners. And even though the lights are out, the use of lighting yeah. is very well done. Oh, so yeah, she very, creates very well. real creepy atmospherics inside this big mansion uh, where most of it happens a little bit outside too but i think as it goes along what's also nice is when it finally gets down to the end or near the end even if you figure out what's going on that's not really the point no and so even if you do as you did i think first and then i did um it doesn't it doesn't spoil the the enjoyment of it because that's not really what it's no. tr- what it's yeah. trying to do the who done it is not the main point here which is which is nice. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, you may not figure it out, and, and in which case, it's it's satisfying, I think. Yeah. But you're right; it's it's not exactly the point that they're that they're making. It's very wryly funny, and, and and I think that's reinforced by the. I think it's the very last line of yes, the movie. Yeah. Really, if if you did, weren't sure beforehand, the very last <laughs> line of the movie lets you know that. But the cast is all strong; they work well together. Uh, good visuals, and yeah, it's it's fun. It is. It is fun. Again, not too. Don't worry. About horror comedies, it's not a lot of the bodies actually fall off screen. Yeah, to be honest, um, but the body and and the uh, the beats drop too. There's a lot of good banging soundtrack uh, yeah, tunes in sure. this, so yeah, you get sure. dropping beats and dropping bodies. <laughs> yeah, we enjoyed it. That's out in theaters now called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Oh, uh, we got one for your fear of heights next. This is best friends Becky and Hunter finding themselves at the top of a two thousand foot radio tower. It's called Fall. I have something that's planned. And I need a partner in crime.
Damn it, Hunter. What are you getting us into? This is interesting. I've already had people just today talk to me about this from watching the trailer. Yep. And they're like, no way. Because <laughs> <laughs> the trailer lets you know whether you can handle this or not. You are go- If you have a fear of heights, they're going to be tested in this movie. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly well shot. It really is. It's very effective in that way. Um, and that's really uh, all it really boasts. I'm not, I mean, it's not like everything else is terrible. It is not. Uh, but it it looks amazing and terrifying. And, you know, I don't have a fear of heights, a fear of everything else. I don't really have a fear of heights. <laughs> and even there are like several places where my stomach dropped like, oh, God, you know. So this is based around and most people. If you spend time on YouTube, you've seen these videos of people, just nutty people in real life that go up on these buildings or towers or whatever. And they're dancing around there with it sure looks like no harnesses or anything and risking their lives just dancing and prancing around, and normal people are going, what in the hell are you doing? <laughs> well, that's the pretty much the premise here. These two friends, one sort of cajoles the other one to get up there and start filming 2,000 feet up in this tower. Yeah, Hunter is the, the YouTube star, and uh, she and her friend, Becky, they underwent a tragedy about a year ago, and so Hunter has decided that to help Becky face this and overcome her grief, She's going to talk her into facing her fears and doing this idiotic, completely <laughs> ridiculous and stupid thing. There's nothing about the storyline that's horrible. It's not, it's not very good. There's nothing about the performances that you're going to like cringe, but they're not very good. If the writing is adequate, they steal a lot. Yeah, you'll they see. They steal a lot from a lot of different films. You're I mean, right. this definitely feels, but it's, you know, it's, it's just a hodgepodge of ideas with the basic purpose of, how good can this director and cinematographer make this action look? And and exactly. they make it look very breathtaking, very scary, yeah, very di- freaky. The director is Scott Mann. He also co-wrote it with Jonathan Frank. But yeah, that's what it's about. I mean, you can get thrills, you know, if you can take it by the uh, the cinematography and the shots in this, which are, you know, impressive and they're effective. Yeah, they really are. But if you boil it down to story, not so much. No. Yeah, no. Um, and it's and it's uh, much ado has been made about the fact that they uh, they dropped all of the f bombs, as which is to right. say they replaced them with something cleaner so that they could get a PG thirteen rating. Uh, and and I suppose in a way that makes sense because yeah. this is it's not a it's not a horror film horror film. It's the kind of thing that youngsters might want to go see, and that's Although, not a bad idea. But if you're in that situation, right. If you're there, what doing happening? Yeah, you're going to say it. You're not going to say freaking. No, you're not going to say freaking. No. And we should give a shout out to the uh, cinematographer who, ju- who cinematographer who just goes by the name McGregor. McGregor. I kept hoping it would be MacGyver because they MacGruber. make a couple of MacGyver references. <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd be even funnier. <laughs> so, uh, well done, McGregor. Uh, but yes, go for the go for the atmospherics and go for the heights if you can stand it. And that's in theaters now called Fall. Crime drama next in theaters, down on her luck and saddled with debt, Emily gets involved in a credit card scam that pulls her into the criminal underworld of Los Angeles, ultimately leading to deadly consequences. This is Emily the Criminal. Hey. Get out of the car. We're serious people. They should be scared of us. told me it was a one-time thing with her. I want my cut. I just want everything! LAPD! 
people just keep taking from you until you make the goddamn rules yourself. Wait, wait! You know what my mistake really was? I didn't go far enough. We're used to Aubrey Plaza in comedies. She's done some dramas. Black but Bear. Yep, yep. Uh, but it's usually, not like this. Not right. in, she's, she's not just in every scene. I think she might be in every shot mm-hmm. in this movie. She's absolutely the lead in this. And oh, yeah. she is astounding. Very, very good. This is the big screen. Or this is the feature, I should say. This is the feature debut for John Patton Ford. I think he's only done a one or two maybe shorts. But uh, his debut is a writer-director. And it is impressive. Yeah, and it, it leans... Really it leans on a great performance by Plaza, and I think, as you as you mentioned, we've known she's been a talent for a while. But this is this is a, a little bit different, as she is a woman who's struggling with basically she's struggling with debts. Mainly, the film lets you know it's it's a lot to do with her student loans. Yeah, she went to art school. Yeah, and she's learning, as a lot of people with student loans have learned over the years, that so much of your payments are going just to the interest. She finds out that her balance isn't even going down because right. she's just paying on the interest. Uh, so that's part of it. And she's working at this restaurant catering kind of thing. It can't get ahead and blah, blah, blah. And she's offered intro into the en- very entry level into this credit card scam thing and then is slowly, slowly sucked more and more into it. As, as you said in your written review of this, looking for a gig. A well-paying gig. Yeah. It's a fascinating, it's an incredibly well-written film, I think, in that I think we're used to seeing a film like this where somebody gets sucked into the underworld and there's this idea of, like, the noble poor, Mm -hmm. you know, and and this movie just upends all of that, you know. Yeah, particularly in a gig economy, which is what so many people live in, myself included, you know, you're just looking for something that's going to pay the bills. And that's, you know, she can't do, you know, and I think that that's what's the most effective about the screenplay and her performance. It's very lean and very realistic, and it just shows you how easy it would be to find yourself in a situation where the only way that you're going to pay off your debt mm-hmm. is to do something illegal. You know, the title tells you as well. I mean, I, I just love where it goes. I love because it's very unexpected and and so reasonable at the same time and angry. Yeah, and uh, the guy that really gets her, who's, gets her into this uh, enterprise and then starts giving her ways to become a little bit more involved is played by Theo Rossi, and he's very, very good. He We've is. seen him do a lot of mainly supporting roles. Uh, this is a bigger, bigger media role for him, and he's very good, and they're good together. And there's a great cameo by Gina Gershon. Yeah. I don't want to give it away, but it's a great scene that sort of sheds light upon the fact of looking at at people who are looking for more out of their employment as being spoiled. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's put it that way. Uh, it, but it's an effective scene. Yeah, I mean, the whole film is just a really great snapshot of capitalism. And, and, and where we are today, mm-hmm. where people... One one side is screaming about no one wants to work anymore, and the other side is saying, well, no, no one wants to pay people what they're worth mm-hmm. anymore mm-hmm. and that's you know that's a big difference uh and this is yeah it's, it's pretty upfront about it and it's certainly not varnishing anything uh, especially this character because at the very beginning she talks about i think they ask her what what would she do if she you know what is what she really looking for and she said she just wants to be free mm-hmm. she's not looking to you know live in a gold-plated mansion no. she's just looking to have to have this off her back yeah and to be free to just live a life and not be chained down by this all the time, and um, and she goes about getting it in in ways that are intriguing. Mm-hmm. And a, you're right, a great performance by Aubrey Plaza, and that is in theaters now called Emily the Criminal. Good one.
Got a documentary next. In 1993, 16-year-old Brandon Lee enrolled at Bearsden Academy, a secondary school in a well-to-do suburb of Glasgow, Scotland. What followed over the next two years became the stuff of legend. This is called My Old School. Hiding in plain sight. It's about the best place you can hide. Police found that Lee had two passports. People thought he might be a spy. And that was when he said, My name isn't Brandon Lee, and I'm not who you think I am. What? They're human beings, but to me they were just a means to an end. There was no crime committed, technically. Was it morally acceptable? It's a story which is seemingly never-ending. He was playing with absolutely everybody around him. Why? Why did he do it? What would possess someone to do that? It was an obsession. If you really want to prevail, you have to do the unimaginable. Well, I remember when we saw the trailer for this, and you were all in. I was. Uh, When are we going to get to see this movie? (laughs) I was intrigued. I didn't know anything of the story. No. Didn't hear about it. Um, And it would certainly, this is a movie that benefits you to to know very little about it. So we're going to be very careful about what we say about it, really. Most of the time, we, we treat this, I think, the way we treat most movies we talk about, if they don't reveal it in the trailer, we're not going to talk about exactly. it, right? But it, this one is even a little more careful because, yeah, it's this this situation in uh, in Scotland that this uh, 16-year-old pulled off when he enrolled in school. And there's a lot of the director here and writer is John O. McLeod. And it's interesting that even today, the person in question, Brandon, does not want to show his face. He did grant an interview and the audio from the interview is lip-synced by actor Alan Cumming, who incidentally was supposed to play the part when this was supposed to be made into a movie in the mid-1990s. Never did get made, but and Alan Cumming was going to play him then. <laughs> well, he's back to play him, except he's lip-syncing, just sitting there in a school, school, in a school a room just lip-syncing. So that's interesting. So that's the first real mystery is why even today does he not want to be seen? And that's part of the the uh, questions that this documentary tries to unravel. But a lot of it is in animation because the director goes back and talks to a lot of the classmates um, who knew Brandon at the time and, and lived through this and were affected by what he did. And they recreate a lot of those instances through animation. And it really recalls, if you remember that MTV show, Daria? Yeah, that's remember the, that? the animation style. Animation sure. is very, very similar to that. And uh, as they go and talk to the uh, the now grown up classmates about what they remember, and you know it is very fascinating. Um, I was looking for movies like this immediately. I think for me the high bar is the night twenty twelve. I think it was movie uh, documentary, The Imposter. Oh, it's amazing, unbelievable. Where well, both of us had just our jaws on the floor when you get these revelations after revelations, and you're thinking. No way. It was just incredible. This does not rise to that. In fact, I think by the end, maybe the director is thinking that these revelations are a little more shocking than they really are. It's still a very interesting story, and it's entertainingly told. I just think, number one, it's not as earth-shattering as they think, and the other, I think the movie takes it a little lightheartedly. They're a little more forgiving. A little more forgiving. Again, I'm, I'm... being careful not to say too much here, but when you get into to this character of Brandon and what he's doing now and what he did then, 
as these classmates look back, because they were so intimately involved, they, they're kind of taking a whole laugh it, laugh it off sort of, sort of uh, approach to it. But at the same time, they realize they should have looked at him more closely at the time. And you're kind of thinking by the end of the movie, I think maybe that's what this movie should do. Yeah. Um, but, but again, I'm really being careful here not to spoil anything. But it is. It's an interesting story. Just don't expect anything, any of these secrets to really blow you out of your seat, especially if you've heard anything about this story. Because it did make headlines in the 90s. But uh, but if you don't, you go in blind. It is entertaining. It's enough to hold your attention. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it just won't, just won't blow you away with the secrets. But it's called My Old School, and it's out now in theaters. And another one in theaters. During the last days of summer and childhood, the weekend before middle school begins, four girls struggle with the harsh truths of growing up and embark on a mysterious adventure. It's called Summering. We make a pact to try and find out who he was. This is on us. You can't not look for someone who's gone. Someone is waiting for this guy to come home. Those are some tough years. It can be so hard to know what's right. You'll make it through. You remember when it used to be better to be older? It doesn't seem all that great. I don't want this weekend to end. I don't want us to end. Well, this is very time appropriate as a lot of kids are going back to school right now. And as a lot of movies have done, it tries to take that time of life and comment on when you're you're going to take the next chapter in your life. You're going to move on. A lot of movies have done that. And uh, this one doesn't do it as successfully as some others have. No, and and you know it right from the opening segment. We follow these four, these four little girls who are. It's the the weekend before they start middle school, and one of the four best friends is actually going to be going to a different middle school than the others. And so they're just sort of they're a little bit melancholy, and they're a little bit happy, and they're going to spend this last weekend of summer together. Um, and as they're wandering through their suburb, their idyllic suburb, the four kids talking, it almost sounds ad-libbed. It's very funny and very authentic. And unfortunately, there is also a voiceover, which is one of the four girls, the main character. <laughs> and it is very, very not. It is absolutely the opposite. It's um, and, and and it's it's clearly adults putting these very poetical ideas right. into the brains of of. 12-year-old girls, and it doesn't work. And what the film is clearly trying to do is to be a modern riff on Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. And I um, I applaud that idea. Stand By Me is maybe the best ever film to be made of that specific moment in time. It, it, this, this movie just really fails because it's so contrived. And because, um, you know, in updating these situations with cell phones and helicopter parents, and, you know, they really take away much of the danger if not all of the danger but also i mean the the story itself winds up just feeling like dumb mm-hmm. like you know I, I don't are we supposed to be okay with what these girls just did or didn't do is it funny it's really not but the movie doesn't treat it with any of the sort of gravity that for example rob reiner did when he made stand by me um, or stephen king did when he wrote stand by me um so it just it comes off as being contrived and false mm-hmm. it's like a good attempt they were trying and some of the adult talent in particular 
is very good. Lake Bell's in it. Megan Mullally is in it. Um, and they both do a nice job. It's just that the movie doesn't seem to really know what it's talking about. And the co-writer and director is James Ponsold, who he did the end of the tour. Yeah. But then he did the spectacular now and the circle, which not not so much. I knew I know a lot of people like the spectacular mm-hmm. now. It's it's all right. But yeah, I, I see what you you mean here with this putting looking back and putting adult wisdom and adult experience into the mindset of a child. And it doesn't come off as authentic. No. So the other lines do. Like there's, you mentioned there's that line about a bunch of man pee or yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. In the, that in the like, opening, well, one, of the, one of the little girls is talking about how her mom at some event made her use the men's room because the line was so much shorter. And there was pee everywhere. It was like a lake of man pee. And that was very authentic. Yeah. And at the same time, the voiceover is saying, Summer has no walls mm-hmm. like no she did not just think that or say that right. she just didn't and because the, they're not the, they're not looking back like the wonder years they're not looking back as an adult no, no this is the child supposedly talking and that no they're no. not going to say that not only that and i you know i it, it's it's grown men imagining that they know yeah. what 12 year old girls are thinking yeah you know, those of us who were 12-year-old girls have a harder time. Although, I got to say, Bo Burnham Bo Burnham. Bo Burnham. Bo Burnham. That's up to you, Bo Burnham. I don't yeah. know how you knew, but eighth grade is about as authentic a look yeah. at this as there has ever been. He nailed it. Yeah. But uh, this is not that. And this is not that. And it's in theaters now called Summering. Well, let's go to Netflix next. And this is a hardworking blue-collar dad who just wants to provide a good life for his quick-witted eight-year-old daughter. His mundane San Fernando Valley pool cleaning job is a front for his real source of income, hunting and killing Vampires. It's called Day Shift. Vampire hunting is a business. Cut next and cash your checks. Well, things have changed since you got your ass kicked out the union. If I don't come up with 10K, my wife and my daughter are going to move to Florida. Hi, Dad. You're late again. And the union is the only place that could give me that kind of money. You know what I see when I see a vamp? Big old dollar sign. Vampires. They're the monsters. All they are is murdering. Does not eclipse, new moon, breaking dawn, point one. It ain't like that, all right? Why do you know the names to all the specific Twilight films? What? And what's your gripe with breaking dawn part two? It's the exciting conclusion of the whole Twilight saga. Well, we talked about a riff on Stand By Me last time. This is sort of a riff on Men in Black, where you've got this underground group, corporation, unbeknownst to most people, hunting vampires instead of aliens. Now, they don't, you know, put a pen up to your to your brain and, <laughs> uh, you know, erase it from your memories, but still kind of the same thing. And Jamie Foxx is hunting along with Snoop Dogg and along with Dave Franco, who's originally a, a desk jockey in this corporation, but he gets roped into the field and he's not really ready for it. And they're hunting vampires and... I guess the biggest thing about this movie, the coolest thing, is the work that they did with the contortionists who work their way into the stunts of the film. They're they're impressive the way they can you know contort their body. Yeah, the, in fact, I think that's really the selling point of the film. Uh, the director has spent most of his life as a stunt coordinator and as a stunt performer, and has really a foc- focus is really on that. There's mm-hmm. a lot of fight sequences where a lot of stunts happen. There's big groups of people doing stunts. The problem is that cinematically, they're not filmed particularly interestingly. Uh, And so I I feel like even that isn't 
you can't really call that that much of a pro. Yeah. Like in the pro column, oh, there's all these contortionists and stunt people because I don't think that he knew how to film them in a way that made it that compelling. The writing is certainly not in the pro column. No, no. The, yeah, the director is J.J. Uh, Perry, who worked a lot on the first John Wick movie, stunt work. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right there. Some of the the stunts and the contortionists are are cool, but that's pretty much where it ends. And the screenplay was by Tyler Tice and Shea Hatton. But, uh, yeah, the writing is just very limp. And the performances, I mean, Jamie Foxx and Dave Franco, are they're, you know, likable. Mm-hmm. And they're in, very talented performers. And, of course, Snoop Dogg is always fun. The rest of the cast yeah. really goes back and forth between just outright bad and mediocre. Now, now Megan Good plays his wife, but it's one of those thankless roles. Yeah, I is. mean, there's not much for her to do. No, there isn't. Uh, but there's so much cliched writing here and cliched situations that it becomes uh, pretty much of a slog. Uh, almost two hours. And even with the, the fun, I guess, fun enough fight scenes, and once, you, once you're... After the opening where you think, ooh, look at the way the, the body's bending back and it's contorting like that, even that becomes, you you got to get tired of it after a while, as impressive as it is. So this is turns into a pretty boring ride. It really does. I really, I mean, a, a lot of it, well, obviously, a, a kind of weak script is going to be your, your number yeah. one problem. But yeah. I just don't think the action sequences, I don't think any of it is directed or edited in a way that has any momentum. You never feel like you're rushing toward anything. You don't mm-hmm. feel like... And action films really need to have that. You need to feel movement. Yeah. And you, everything feels very stagnant. Yeah, that is, that is very true. So it's on Netflix now, which is, you know, that's... At least it's free uh, if, if you've got Netflix. I mean, at least <laughs> Exactly. If you have it there, fire it up. But uh, this, sort of, um, this sort of sits there. And that is Day Shift on Netflix now. Let's turn to an animation music fantasy next. A cursed dancer and a musician stun society with electrifying concerts in this animated rock opera called Inuo. Matt Wiener reviewed this one for us. It was almost a fist fight between Matt Wiener and myself, <laughs> but uh, I had a lot. He really wanted to see it, and he loved he it. He did. Four and a half stars yeah. out of five. Loved it. So please read his review at madwolf.com because, yeah, he loved it, and he wrote a really good review about it. And uh, even if you're not, and I, I would not count myself a huge anime fan, but I do like the rock musicals, and this is a, a really nice blending of, of styles. Oh, yeah, because it's feudal Japan, so mm-hmm. it's like the 14th century, but they're playing Bowie, and they're playing Queen, yeah. and the reason they're doing it is fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's such a weird, and, and it's like nothing you've ever seen, and it's a beautiful anime it, along the lines of, like, early Miyazaki. Right. So, I mean, so, there are some anime. I mean, I'm not a hu- huge fan of it either, although we both love Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just really something that you should watch. It's not like anything else out there certainly and it's fascinating right especially if you can find it in your area on the big screen for sure this is director masaki yuasa once again hope i pronounced that right and it's based on a novel and uh the screenplay is by akiko nogi the uh the adapted screenplay but yeah this is really really worth seeing especially on the big screen with a one of those theaters with a big, you know, Dolby sound system oh, yeah. that just blows your blows your hair back. So check it out, and be sure to check out Matt's review because yeah, he loved it at MadWolf.com, and that is for the new anime Inuo, and that's I N U O H. 
And one more is next. This one's in theaters with the return of Diane Keaton. A 30-year-old writer spends a wild weekend in Palm Springs and wakes up to find she has magically transformed into her 70-year-old self. It's called Mac and Rita. So you were thinking about old lady stuff, and uh-huh. then you turned into one. So he should be able to turn you back into you. Where did he go? This is Max on Tirita. You know, these pocket computer photo albums are my job these days. I get paid to post oh. pictures. What? Wow, looking good, Aunt Rita. Everything that's happening for you right now is because you're showing the world who you are. More of my glammy Grammy. People are dying for her. Rita, you got a man. Well, this guy's young. He's young. Mac, you didn't want to be old. What you wanted was to be you. Isaiah Merritt reviewed this one for us. And one of the things that you can just count on, no matter what the movie, is that Diane Keaton is going to be good. Yep. And that is the case here. And it's not just Diane Keaton because Taylor Page is also in this. Oh, yeah. Always good. So good. And Loretta Devine, also always good. And also Simon Rex, who was just so good in Red Rocket. It's just not much of a film, though. I mean, it's kind of the the big concept, except instead of a child who becomes an adult, it's a 30-year-old who becomes 70. And it's a little bit funny that the fact that she's lost 40 years of living isn't really the biggest thing. It's more just how fun can it be to see Diane Keaton hang out with people her own age, but act like she's 30. And it's, I mean, you know, she right. does it well. She yeah. does it really well. It's yeah. just the movie itself is very slight and very convoluted and not that well written. Yeah, it's some of the same life lessons you've seen a million times and not really delivered that well. But Diane Keaton's always going to make them more fun. Um, the younger Diane is played by Elizabeth Lale. She's Mac, and then her 70-year-old self is uh, Dan Keaton's Rita. So she's the main calling card here for sure. And uh, you want to check out that full review by Isaiah Merritt. You can find it at madwolf.com. But Mac and Rita is in theaters now. All right, let's get hip to some news in the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Checking back in the lobby, Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. The Schlocketeer, has the latest news from uh, all around the studios. What's up? Lots of horror stuff this time. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, as of today, the black phone is available to stream on Peacock, so if anyone missed it in theaters and haven't caught up with it yet on VOD, now they can stream it on Peacock Premium. Yay, it's a fun one. Yes, it is. And MGM has moved up the theatrical release of George Miller's fantasy romance, 3,000 Years of Longing. It'll now open five days earlier on August 26th. All right. (laughs) Robert Zemeckis' live-action remake of Disney's Pinocchio will hit Disney Plus on September 8th, and that one stars Tom Hanks, Cynthia Erivo, Luke Evans, and the vocal talents of Keegan-Michael Key and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So... I've, I haven't been the biggest fan of these live-action remakes, but hopefully this will be a good one. It's funny, though, because there's also the Del Toro one coming up, so it's just a funny idea. We're going to have two of them back-to-back like that. Oh, yeah, and there's something else along those lines that I'll get to here in a bit. You know, and I, I don't know who it was. Somebody on Twitter, I think I saw it. They do all these live-action remakes. They should just all be Muppet remakes. Oh, yeah, it's a very good idea. Uh, Disney I owns wish. the Muppets. Or just do them all with the Muppets. <laughs> I wish. Uh, the Senegalese horror thriller Salome will premiere on Shutter on September 8th. 
And then there's a Danish horror film called Speak No Evil Hitting Shudder on September 15th. On September 16th, Netflix will premiere their dark comedy, Do Revenge, which is a modern Strangers on a Train riff starring Maya Hawk, Camila Mendez, and Sophie Turner. About two high schoolers who make a pact to go after one another's bullies. And then speaking of the double movies, on September 22nd, Shudder's premiering a film called Raven's Hollow, which is a supernatural horror thriller set in the uh, early 1800s, where West Point military cadet Edgar Allan Poe and a team of other cadets come across something terrifying, terrifying on a training exercise in upstate New York. What's funny about that is Netflix also has a movie where military cadet um, Edgar Allan Poe is investigating a series of grisly murders at West Point with a distinguished detective Christian Bale along his side. Wow. That one's called The Pale Blue Eye, and it'll come out sometime this fall. It doesn't have a date yet, but I'm guessing October. So, yeah, double Edgar Allan Poe as West Point military cadet solving horror mysteries. That's that's a strange that coincidence. It is. <laughs> Maybe Poe should investigate. Maybe. <laughs> Then on September 23rd, we're getting the Netflix premiere of Lou, which is an action thriller starring Journey Smollett, Logan Marshall Green, and Allison Janney. So apparently, she uh, she went full uh, nobody on this one, so Ooh. maybe we'll be getting some martial arts Allison Janney. Wow! <laughs> I'm in for that. Yes, indeed. Definitely some gun wielding, at least. Nice. And then there's a horror comedy called Sissy premiering on Shutter on September 29th. And on September 30th, not quite a film, but Shudder's premiering their new documentary miniseries, Queer for Fear, A History of Queer Horror, which is kind of a sister doc to the horror noir. Yeah. Nice. Um, cool. A few years ago. Okay. I'm excited to watch that. Yeah. Definitely worth looking up. On October 6th, there's a horror comedy called Deadstream, also hitting Shudder. And then Warner Brothers Animation has been putting out a series of animated Mortal Kombat movies since 2020, one a year. The latest one is Mortal Kombat Legends Snowblind, and that hits VOD and Blu-ray on October 8th. Dario Argento's new Giallo Dark Glasses will premiere on Shudder on October 13th. Hulu's reimagining of um, Romeo and Juliet titled Rosaline will premiere on October 14th. Blumhouse's horror thriller Nanny will premiere on Amazon Prime on November 23rd. And then finally, the Amy Adams uh, Disney Princess comedy Enchanted has a sequel. It's called Disenchanted, and that will <laughs> hit Disney Plus on Thanksgiving Day. Is it too much to ask for that Nanny to be a Mrs. Baylock origin story from Ooh. The Omen? <laughs> I'd watch that. Heck oh, yeah! yeah. But now the, you're giving Disney ideas for free. With the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> Muppets Omen. There you go. There's your, there's your next Hulu premiere right there. It's gold, Jerry. <laughs> All right. You can always find out the latest from Daniel Baldwin. Muppet stories and non-Muppet stories. Always at the Schlocketeer. Thanks again. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking ahead to next week, Idris Elba is back fighting a, it's a lion, He's right? fighting a lion. In Beast, I am in. In Beast, that's out next week. Also, Orphan First Kill. It's been years since Orphan. It's been years. Same actress, too, yes. is back. So that'll be interesting. See yeah. how they pull that off. Um, also, Glorious. When I Consume You. The Innocence. Squeal. And The Legend of Molly Johnson. That's all next week. Will something else pop up? I wouldn't be surprised. But that is next week. And this is this week. What do you think? Bodies, 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 fall. You're afraid of heights? Or maybe Aubrey Plaza and Emily the Criminal want to talk about any of that? Please let us know. You can always find us on Twitter. That's the easiest way. It's Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also, uh, Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook and Instagram. 
And by the way, speaking of the Facebook page, thank you to Priscilla for checking in. She wanted to talk a little bit about uh, 13 Lives. Yeah, uh, that she, she loved it. That she enjoyed. So thank you, Priscilla. Appreciated talking about that, sending some messages. So yeah, keep in touch if you can. And uh, until next week, be well. She's Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>